so we went to the show on mm -hmm. Saturday mm -hmm. and it was amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, so, um, I mean, because I want to like, you know, talk a little bit about it, like as we kind of like get deeper into the conversation and stuff, but like, um, it, it kind of, the idea kind of came from you and your mom traveling to Dominican Republic or where was that idea? Where did it come from? Well, the idea for the show kind of started with an album that my mom and I were working on called Ancestars. And, you know, we did a project with Donovan who created the uh, Paperhand Puppet Group. Um, and uh, that was our first time kind of collaborating with him. And when we got back from DR in December, I was like, hey, man, what, what do you have planned for the summer show? And they didn't really have an idea for the show yet. They do a big show every summer for 23 years now. And, um, you know, for at least 10 of those 23 years, I've been taking our kids to go see um, the Paperhand Puppet Show. And it's always a great time. And I've always thought in the back of my mind, like, it would be really dope to collab with these guys. And um, so after we we got the opportunity to work with uh, with them in the, in the DR, I pitched him on the idea like, hey, my mom and I are releasing this album. It's about ancestors. It's about transformation. It's about healing. How would you feel about us scoring the next summer show? And he went to his partner, Jan. They talked about it. We met the four of us, me, my mom, Donovan and Jan. And it was just like the ideas were flowing and sparking. And, you know, that that kind of became the year's project. Wow. Planted the seeds in like the beginning of the year and have been rehearsing since June and released in August. Wow. Well, I'm going to ask you, I have so much to kind of touch on that because it just, I was so moved by the oh, show. And so I'll get into that in just a second. But before we do, um, welcome back. And if you're new, this is Life and Art with Nicole and I'm your host, Nicole. This is a weekly podcast where I discuss different lifestyle topics such as books, acting, music, television, health, wellness, spirituality, and a variety of other topics. And today I'm so excited because I have my friend Pierce here. Pierce is a Grammy-nominated musician, and we have a really interesting, really enlightening episode coming up, so stay tuned. Uh, yeah, so when the, I, I had already told you like what my uh, stepson had said oh, yeah. <laughs> when the puppets came out, but, um, but before, you know, I've been kind of really get into that. So the show is called Paper Hand Puppet Show. Well, the show that you guys put on was called Where Our Spirits Reside. And so what was the inspiration behind that? I know you had said that it was, you wanted to kind of bring in a lot of the creative and you wanted to work with the Paper Hand Puppet Show and develop into into what it became but like what why where the spirits reside and what was you know that full inspiration from yeah i think um a couple things uh i think a lot of my work and my mom's work in particular has been influenced by my dad's death uh, he passed away in 2019 and um you know that was when i got into making music for children and families, just reflecting on fatherhood, the father that he was, the father that I am. A lot of that became very um, much a part of my 
professional creative practice after my dad passed. And same for my mom. She was grieving and, um, you know, had written an album of love songs that were like their songs when they were were growing up together. And so she released that album. It was called Time Traveler. Um, My second children's album and her album were both nominated for Grammys in 2022. Um, and that was historic because there had never been a, you know, mother and son nominated in different categories in the same year. And um, it was at the Grammys. We were in Vegas uh, with Katie and my manager, Monica, and my mom. And we were like, we should we should work on a project together. Oh, wow. And and that project was became Ancestars. It is an album that is about kind of exploring in our connection to our ancestors and um you know that album was the basis for the puppet show for the theme of the puppet show we knew pretty early on that that we didn't want the show to have the same name as the album um and so where our spirits reside became you know was just something that we workshopped with donovan and jan that encapsulated the spirit of the album but was also very broad and and universal and uh, we took we started with the themes of the album. That was one inspiration. Another was my mom's podcast, Great Grief. Oh, I didn't know she had a podcast. Yeah, yeah. She's she's got it's like a award winning. Like they've got like three big podcast awards. Wow. Um, and you have a podcast. I do have a podcast too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love this. Like you <laughs> and your mom are like, how amazing! Like to have such an inspiration to and then be able to do it with them. You know, like. Obviously, you guys have your own individual creative paths, right? But to have someone to work alongside and then also look up to and also be related to is amazing. It's great. Yeah, she's my mom. She's definitely my mentor musically. And, and uh, you know, we learn a lot from each other. I think I bring a lot of, um, you know, it was my idea to do the puppet show. That wasn't really something on her radar. I was like, Mom, we should do this. It'll be fun. Like... And it's another medium. It's another way for her to keep telling her story mm-hmm. about uh, love, family, transformation, healing. These have been not just concepts we're wrestling with creatively, but interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Like this is uh, what it means to lose a loved one and and to be present with the feelings that come up um, in the wake of a big loss. And the show, as you experienced um you know deals a lot with you know loss loss of a family member loss of uh you know memory was Mm. one of the scenes oh right it was um loss of uh you know hair the -hmm. lady who came into the hair salon and was dealing with loss around hair so um you know how do we come together and heal through uh the the different curveballs that life throws at us and to do it in a way that is like accessible to children and kind of all ages and a family experience where you can ignite these conversations about life. Yeah. It's really just beautiful work. You know, the part um, or the scene that I was, I personally was the most moved by was when um, the big 
was it a woman or man? I don't know. The big head and then mm-hmm. her arms stretched out. Was mm-hmm. it? It's a female, right? Or uh, I guess it's kind of up to interpretation, right? It's just the spirit a of the spirit. earth being. Yeah, yeah, with like the halo. Yeah. When 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 uh, she got stretched out and then they kind of raised her up and then the tears came mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. I was like sitting in the audience and I was like, oh my gosh, I felt it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was so here's like my husband and my stepson, like they're just sitting over there like I have no idea and I'm just like oh my god this is so good you know like because I felt it and I felt like and just the message about how we need to be we need to take care of the earth we need to we need to listen we need to we need to um we need to address the the um the pain and suffering that we've put the earth through you know through all all of our all of our humanity's selfishness you know and to see that sort of like expressed, to see to see the spirit of the earth, the tears coming out, to say like, you know, this we are all one together. What are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. and and that to me just it, I you know, because I'm I'm really connected to my indigenous heritage, and so for me, I just I just felt it. I really felt oh, it wow. at that point, and. And then the stories, you know, like I loved, I loved your scene with the fishing with your dad, mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. also kind of touched me a lot because, um, you know, I knew your dad and stuff as well. And so it's just, just to see that and just, just to see how you and your mom have been able to creatively express, um, what you all have expert, you know, experienced is amazing. Mm-hmm. And to be able to incorporate that into your art is, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. The, the, the story that you're referencing is also the subject of this book, uh, Daddy and Me Side by Side. Um, this is the book that inspired that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, me taking my son on a camping trip. Oh, wow. And while oh, we're camping, wow. yeah. we're like remembering, you know, my dad used to take me on these trails and, mm-hmm. and t- take me fishing. And so it's about lineage and legacy and family mm-hmm. and emotional vulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, especially for for black boys and black men. Right. Um, so yeah, the, this was another piece alongside my mom's podcast and our album that really was um, an important part of the you know an important part of the inspiration for the show. Yeah, and I like I like what you just said. You know, like the being able to be vulnerable because you had said that in the show as well, mm-hmm. and you know your you said that your dad had allowed you or I, maybe his passing. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly what you said in the show, but you were you know essentially insinuating that you felt comfortable being a human almost, you know, like you didn't feel stigmatized by this, like men have to, you know, hold their tears back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, what some might coin toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you feel about that phrase? Well, uh, I think that there's definitely a stigma against men being emotionally vulnerable and there aren't a lot of tools out there that show us that that's an okay thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of times uh, in my childhood, when people got emotional, you get like clowned for mm-hmm. being in your feelings like that. And um, this kind of stoic, uh, unfeeling creature <laughs> is like an ideal version of manhood. Mm-hmm. Um, in some circles that wasn't how I was raised in this house and in, in my parents house mm-hmm. but it was certainly something that was reinforced through my peer groups 
And so um, that's why, you know, it was important for me in the book to, to show an intentionally uh, vulnerable moment between a father and son. And, you know, if you're not getting it at home or getting it, you know, at school, you know, maybe you can pick up this book and see, oh, actually, it's, it's okay for me to feel how I feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I do think that um, there are elements of masculinity that have been distorted by the media and and there is a a more holistic you know masculinity that i think is ancient you know and you look in different cultures around the world and they talk whether it's yin and yang or mm-hmm. uh, shiva and shakti there's just different traditions that uh talk about a masculine energy yeah as being a, a certain type of thing and that's not necessarily what masculinity is in in culture and especially in America so you know um I think it's just uh important that we embrace our vulnerability as men and mm-hmm. and are able to to feel and cry and um and be there for each other mm-hmm. I think that those are like important things that I think boys should be exposed to and, and learn about yeah you know and because uh, what you just said society I feel like um, it's interesting you know like we inherently as people know we have that sort of understanding that we have aspects of ourselves that are feminine and aspects of ourselves that are masculine but society has made it such that you have to identify outwardly as one or the other but that's not what anything is everything in life has has have both have both masculine and feminine energy you have to like it's part of the balance you know and just like the feminine energy is the bringer of life and you could in that you could have that in any aspect right that you could find that in gardening you know when the seed um when the seed when the flower blooms you know and then the masculine energy is the seed you know so it's like we have all of these aspects in life and the fact that our society has sort of droned it out of us um and forced us pigeonholed us into one or the other and said you have to do this in this way you have to do that in that way and then when when you have people at this point in society the way i see it because we've sort of fractalized everything to such a degree and it's no longer holistic people are it's it's like we're so broken as as a people as a as a culture as a society throughout the world right that now it's like people are struggling against it people are pushing against it and i think that's maybe where that whole term toxic masculinity comes from because it's like men trying to reclaim an aspect of themselves that has been sort of torn away in a way I don't know I'm not a man so I I can't answer that question as a man but as a woman looking at this you know I, I see I see what's happening in society and it's just that we I don't feel like we have fully understood um the those ancient principles of masculine and feminine energy and how important they are to the individual. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something broken, you know, in the United States of America. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that art is a way to, to kind of sew those pieces back together where you can mm-hmm. see the wholeness of a person. Yeah. And, uh, kind of honor the the divineness of a person yeah um and that's what i strive to to do with my art 
And uh, I think that that's like a bold action. It's like uh, bucking against the system mm -hmm. that would have us pigeonholed. It's like, no, we're more expansive than your narrow uh, perspective yeah. makes room for. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we take up space, you know, as men, um, as black men in particular for me, that that's my lens. Mm -hmm. And the art that I make is a way for me to show how expansive that can be. Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting, right? We are at a point in society now where it's like in back in like the 80s and 90s, we didn't have social media. Right. So everything that happened um, was very you only really knew about what was happening in your community or your like kind of local area unless you saw it on TV. And then the, the TV was the sort of nationalized aspect. And you only really knew what the TV told us was happening. But now with social media, we're seeing the rest of the world and we're seeing we're seeing all these issues. Right. And so I think maybe that's why now is such a, a pertinent time for artists to really come together and really have these messages, you know, and really push these messages across, you know, because I'm actually curious because you as an independent artist, you're not with a label, are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you would be an independent artist, right? Mm -hmm. So as an independent artist, like, how do you feel going against the like the big machine of, you know, the music world or the art world or the film world, whatever, you know, whatever, because you, you're multifaceted, obviously. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't feel that I'm against anything. Um, I feel like uh, I'm in, uh, <laughs> I'm in divine alignment with my purpose, and sometimes that intersects with the machine. Mm. Um, for example, the podcast that I'm working on, you know, it's called Jamming on the Job. It'll come out in September with PBS Kids. Mm -hmm. That is a machine. It is a part of a system that, you know, is connected to some really great art like mm. Sesame Street yeah. and, um, you know, Miss Fred Rogers, you know, PBS yeah. Reading Rainbow, LeVar Burton's one of my heroes. So uh, while that is public media, there are certain, you know, aspects that I've learned just from working with PBS that this is part of a, this is part of a machine, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, you know, with, with another series I'm working on called History of White People in America, it's it's Independent Lens, it's PRX, Public Radio International. There are these big institutions kind of around some of the projects that I'm working on. And, um, you know, for me, you have to kind of know where your compass is. That's what my dad always told me. It's like, where are you going and why? Mm -hmm. And is the project in, in the fullest alignment with your purpose on this world? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, you got to do something else. Yeah. And sometimes that might... That might mean a project is, you know, intertwined with, you know, a big corporation. Sometimes it's independent, and it, and whether whether it's underground or or on a major platform, the approach is the same. It's like to bring your authenticity to it, to speak truth to power, to um to be high creative at a high level, you know, and to put your people on when and where you can you know, collaborate and just surround yourself with people who are all about like love, mm -hmm. who are all about community and creativity and, and, um, you know, whose, whose kind of spirit and values are aligned with your own. Mm -hmm. And th those are the, that's the compass and whether or not that is, is against or in alignment with or underground or, <laughs> you know, whatever with, with other things that are in place is kind of like, you know, it, it it just 
it just is what it is. Like yeah. I'm looking here at this Grammy thing. Like I've got my Grammy award. What's um, a nominate your nomination certificate? Oh my yeah, goodness. here uh, in my office. Um, and you know that was a moment where something underground kind of co- yeah. collided with a you know a big part of the industry. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel I didn't feel out of place or awkward there. I just try to walk whether I'm walking into you know, E.K. Poe Elementary School in Durham or uh, on the stage at the Grammys with my mom or at a community center in South Dakota or or the Getty in Los Angeles where I'm headed in a couple weeks. Like, it's just to bring the same version of myself mm-hmm. that is, you know, committed to the principles of truth-telling, high-art, community-based, Black-centered, Afrofuturistic um, creative energy. Yeah. And um, as long as that, as long as that piece of the compass is is in proper alignment, then then even if only five people come to my puppet, my random little puppet show in the woods, <laughs> like like those five people experience something transformative. Yeah, you know, and you have to bring it there, just like you bring it, you know, uh, you know, everywhere you go. Yeah, and eventually, you know, I think that that some of the systems you become impossible to ignore because it's like whoa you know there, there's something special here mm-hmm. um and the specialness is not anything unique to me it's like i think we all have an inherent capacity for genius mm-hmm. and uh and and it's so funny i was talking to my mom about genius the other day i actually don't think genius is a remarkable thing i think it is a i think it is the natural state of every human mm-hmm. it's just that everyone doesn't have access to tap into their genius yeah. because they're too busy trying to feed themselves mm-hmm. or they're too scared to do the thing that they really want to do because they're doing this job to make money or you know they were shamed out of yeah. doing you know expressing themselves in the way that felt most true to them mm-hmm. and so they're kind of wearing a mask you yeah. know, whereas behind that mask, there's this beautiful person that that doesn't know how to be in a world that doesn't accept their beauty. Yeah. You know, there are these different things that are are genius stiflers. Yeah. And I was really lucky because my parents put me in a position to have like high self-esteem, all the tools I needed to to, you know, discover who I was. And um, I feel like I had ancestral backing to making mm-hmm. sure that you know, I was well protected yeah. and, and that has allowed me to step into my genius. And I, again, I don't mean to pat myself on the back. It's like, I'm the Einstein of children's <laughs> music. Like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to hype myself up. Like you're a genius too. You're yeah. also, uh, you know, my wife, my kids, you know, the it, genius is all around us. It's, it's, um, it's accessible to all. Yeah. Um, and I just happen to be tapped into mine mm-hmm. and um, feel that it's part of my purpose to, to kind of spread that um, at a high level. So Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I, I definitely think that genius, almost in sort of enlightened state, is our true nature. And I think, I personally think that like through your creativity, you're tapping into your creative self is how you unlock that, you know? Mm-hmm. But we live in a society, as you said, that stifles it in some way or another. And yeah, I mean, obviously with the rat race, there's it's so difficult for so many people to pursue that creative 
that creative aspect of themselves um, because they have to, you know, either get to work and, you know, get whatever they're doing, get their, um, you know, their business thing in time and, and come home and feed their kids and then get up and do it all over again. And it's just, um, our world is not conducive for like a, for fostering creativity. And that, and that's where I, I do think that genius comes in because if you, if we think about every genius in history, right, they were creative in their own individual field, you know, like Einstein, for example, was a genius of math, but he just knew how to be really creative with numbers, you know, mm -hmm. in such a degree where he could see the universe in a totally different way. Tesla, same thing, you know, he was a genius with not only numbers, but with like frequencies and, and, um, you know, and tapping into that, you know, he knew, uh, how to, how to maneuver sound, you know, and, um, and create amazing things. And so, yeah, that is the natural state. And you're so right about how society does not really allow for that. But you know what I think? I think the reason why society doesn't allow for that is because if if society was operating at the highest possible level, there would be no need to for control. There would be no need for people to be above or below anyone. You know, everyone would sort of be equal and not a commun communist type of, you know, situation. But equality in the sense of like everyone is participating creatively for the collective good of humanity, you know, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And um, I think that I think I agree with you, you know, where mechanisms of control are less useful against people who are really tapped into their, you know, to their purpose. Yeah. And, you know, then you start thinking like, well. You know, money is a mechanism of control. It's a completely made up thing. Totally. Yeah. It's not even real. It's not real. It's not real at all. It's getting less real. I know. <laughs> like it's blockchain turning digital. digital. <laughs> yeah, it's completely, it's a complete fantasy. Yeah. And to your point about creativity, somebody made that stuff up. Mm -hmm. Somebody thought, like... In this culture, it's calorie shells. In this culture, it's a mineral mm. called gold. Now mm. it's this paper thing. Mm. Now it's this digital currency. Now it's this blockchain. It's an algorithm. It's like mm -hmm. it's like our evolving perception of what value is yeah. has completely changed. And you try to explain blockchain to somebody 100 years ago, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah, you try to explain like, oh, yeah, even like a credit card. Like, wait a minute. So what's happening here? <laughs> right. You know, and then likewise, if we go back a thousand years to, to, to West Africa and we're like, oh, yeah, there's this shell. It's called a cowrie shell. That's yeah. currency. Yeah. It's money. Yeah. It's it like was gold. pearls in, uh, in Mexico at one point. Like, I think they use pearls as currency. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, what, what are these things? It's a shell. It's a it's a mineral that yeah. you can find in the dirt. Mm -hmm. It's barely distinguishable from the the gravel. Yeah. Uh, in my driveway. So I wonder if that like what that's kind of saying about society is like we we find value. We you can find with creativity. You can find value in anything, and you can creatively make people like believe that there's value. Well, it's in true. It. Have you ever been to an art gallery and you see a splash of paint on a on a like a white canvas and, and it's it like, says. Fifteen thousand yeah, dollars. Totally, yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is a complete figment of our imagination what yeah. value is, and and yeah. here's the thing: if 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 money was created, here's the other wild thing about money: money is is a complete figment of our imagination. Yet it's so real that uh, for a thousand of these imaginary dollars, you could probably get somebody to kill another person. Yeah. Like that's how you know people mm. are are 
able to eat or starve based on this figment of our yeah. imagination. And, um, you know, it, 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 there's some evil genius out there. Um, <laughs> and genius does work both ways. Oh, oh, no. The people who are kind of, you know, puppeteering, <laughs> puppeteering yeah. a lot are brilliant. Yeah. Like they, you have to be full on, yep. full blown genius to be yep. able to come up with these types of ideas and to make people believe them so wholeheartedly that they will forego their own dreams to do what you want. Which is precisely why other folks who have activated that level of genius can see right through it. Yeah, totally. You know, and which is also why I think genius is something, especially black genius, is something that has been intentionally stifled mm -hmm. and attempted to be, uh, um, you know, squashed and erased. It's yeah. like, no, you can't read. No, you can't, mm -hmm. you know, um, no, you can't pursue swim. a degree. No, you, yeah, the, yeah. All these different kind of things that are just like, hmm. What is uh what is the institution of slavery how is it compromised by an enslaved person's ability to read well okay if you can read the bible maybe you can read out loud to the slave master all the contradictions mm -hmm. and all the chapters of the bible yeah. it's like they didn't want us to have access to knowledge because knowledge is power yep. and power is disruptive yeah and you know so I think, you know, there are parts of the system that, you know, it sounds like, oh, it's it's broken. Well, some people say it's actually functioning in its purpose. Mm -hmm. And the purpose is to control people and to kind of uh, prevent folks from achieving a certain level of consciousness mm -hmm. that would cause them to question the system mm -hmm. that we're all in. But, you know, likewise, if, you know, if, if the system is indeed working the way it's supposed to work, it's almost forcing people collectively to wake up, you know, or to sort of realize, like it's becoming increasingly more like the boot is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And either you're gonna get squashed or you gotta lift the boot up and be like, no, get off of me, you know? So it is a sort of, if it is working the way it's supposed to work, it might be for the collective good, you know? It might be to force people to say, no, we don't wanna do this anymore. We wanna pursue our own you know, we want to, we want to pursue our own creative potential, you know? I mean, I don't know. It's just, there's a, it's a funny way of looking at the world, you know, but at least for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, um, you know, the, oh goodness, I think it was June Jordan. You're going to have to quote me on, or, or forgive me if I'm misquoting June Jordan. June Jordan said, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. Someone else said, um, the purpose of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Um, mm. I can't remember who, but please Google it. The purpose of the writer, I think, is the original quote. Um, but then, it, you know, over time, it's been adopted by all artists yeah. to make the revolution irresistible. And and you know, revolution has this kind of stigma attached to it. I also think about the word apocalypse. You know, mm. has this stigma. Yeah. Um, apocalypse is just like the revealing of yep. the truth yep. that's what it literally means yeah. it's greek for like unveiling or yeah unveiling, unveiling and yeah. revealing the truth it's like whoa that's apocalyptic it's yeah like, but but, like... but you know hollywood has made us think that it's like oh the rains are going to come down and there's floods and you know like all this hail and all this destruction yeah. and chaos but no it literally means like a sort of awakening or a sort of but, unveiling of reality. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. So metaphorically speaking, I think it's absolutely an appropriate metaphor because for anyone, 
you know, like, let's say you're just a person raised in this society and, and you get robbed for your money or something terrible happens to you that's money-based. And then you kind of come to the realization, like, wait a minute, this is all made up? Like, <laughs> that would be apocalyptic yeah, wow. in, in the same way that, like, hailstone and, you know, fire and brimstone and volcanoes erupting. It's, like, destructive yeah. to the, the current paradigm. To the current paradigm, yeah. right. And, uh, you know, sometimes you need a little, sometimes you need a little breakage and mm-hmm. some explosions yeah. to to free yourself. I, you know, the one of the cool things about the play, going back to where our spirits reside, is the uh, the the presence of moths and butterflies. I noticed that. Yeah. What was that about? Well, I think um, moths are a great metaphor for transformation. Mm. And uh, when I think about the the moth the the transition that a that a caterpillar goes through in chrysalis, it is it is that destructive thing mm, yeah. you know in order to become you start life as a caterpillar you're just eating leaves getting fat chilling you know what i mean a little cocoon a little <laughs> hammock you know what i mean but then inside that chrysalis the the body of the caterpillar is completely dissolved it's it's if you were to open up a chrysalis mid metamorphosis it would look like goo it's not like the caterpillar just grew some wings and is like a Beyonce, you know, <laughs> coming right. out. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a, it's wow. a complete I, I restructuring of, of the being, and that yeah. that apocalypse, whatever's going on in there, could be considered apocalyptic yeah. to the caterpillar. Sure, you know what I mean? But that that breaking down um, is absolutely essential if the butterflies to emerge mm. a transformed being. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think that the metaphor is appropriate. It's just interesting because people are scared of change. Yeah. And that's one of the things I like about this author. Um, I've got five Octavia Butler books here. Um, my wife and I have been reading together, uh, some of Octavia's work and she deals a lot with apocalypse Oh wow! and, um, you know, and transformation and healing. And I think that, um, you know, it's really important for creatives to be actively envisioning a better future. Yeah. Because uh, one of the things that's possible when a thing is broken down is like, well, what are we going to replace it with? Yeah. And we need visionaries who are kind of rooted in the principles of truth and human well-being and love mm-hmm. to be the creators of the of the next phase yeah. after the inevitable cycle of yeah. death yeah. becomes reality because mm-hmm. I think that these cycles are just like the seasons yeah they're you know, natural empires rise and they fall and you know it's nothing yeah. to be scared of it's just the nature of the universe yeah. and and um, you know it takes some imagination to be there building what's next mm-hmm. um, as the the current system ages itself out of relevance. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Katie had actually, your wife had, um, my wife, the... Katie, <laughs> your wife, of Where? course, my wife, that was for y'all, for the viewers. Yeah. Katie is my wife. She was on another episode of the podcast. Yeah, I'm she... sure she did great. I didn't hear any of it, but I thought it was awesome. <laughs> she, um, she had actually said, you know, one of the things that she was super impressed about you was the fact that you're able to, um, kind of like the butterfly and the moth, you're able to find something new to create. 
she said that your imagination is so I can't I can't remember exactly what she said, but she basically said that you have this unique ability to be able to like envision something and then bring it to life. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. Did you know that about yourself or did you know that that's how she felt about you? I'm learning new things. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, it's like that's such a great um, that's a great talent to have, you know, one as an artist, because you can constantly transform and create and transform and create. Right. But then also it's um, it's a great thing to have because you're malleable, you're adaptable, you can go into anything. And I mean, it, your work speaks for itself, you know, your music has transformed over the years, mm-hmm. you know? Um, are you still performing with The Beast? Uh, not so much these days, everybody's mm-hmm. got kids now, so oh, right. <laughs> it's like, hey, let's go on tour. Well, actually, yeah, I've but got like, a baby at home. But you're, you know, so with like your music is now like it's is it more towards kids? Like, yeah, yeah, it's so children's it's, music. Yeah. yeah, so it's sort of evolved into mm-hmm. the next generation. Look at mm-hmm. you. Um, but yeah, and then now with the puppet show and and it, your it's it's body it's now body whereas before it was like more vocal right mm-hmm. and now it's like you're getting more into your body more into your um into like your the movement and so it's that's an artist and you actually went to art school right didn't you uh i went to durham school of the arts yeah but is that considered an art school i mean uh yeah it's an art school yeah. it's a magnet school with yeah. the focus on the arts yeah i mean did you feel like that kind of other than your parents obviously did you feel like that kind of fostered your creative kind of yeah i mean you know uh i would say i was nurtured in a very creative environment my parents were a huge part of it both being artists themselves um school for sure durham school of the arts was huge and ek poe as well uh very creative environments and then just durham durham is full of artists yeah and uh you know one of my mentors uh dr baba chuck davis you know the founder of the african-american dance ensemble he was another genius um who whose medium was movement. And one of his mentees, um, Toya Chinflu, who was my African dance teacher at um, DSA, uh, another profound influence on my life. Um, you know, and then even the artists that are, are part of the, a, a legacy of creative um, black energy to come out of Durham, like Ernie Barnes, the famous painter, who's also a um, civil rights activist and football player, played at Central NFL guy, Um, you know, Polly Murray, um, Shirley Caesar, um, who had a, with whom I share an interesting intersection as like musician, Grammy Award, you know, nominee, she's a multi-time winner, but also a city council member. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the queen of gospel was a city council member in the late eighties. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to be from this place is to, is to be, to be from Durham and to be awake is to be kind of surrounded by black excellence, um, creatives, like some thoughtful, you know, white allies, um, and uh and an intellectual community mm-hmm. you know between north carolina central duke durham tech and then all the universities between unc and nc state and meredith and yeah. you know we're just shaw and saint augustine it's like we're just 
it's one of the intellectual capitals of the world. Yeah, it is. And we grew up here. I know, it's it's cool. We're so lucky. We're yeah. so cultured. We're so bomb mm-hmm. <laughs> because of Durham yeah. and, and all that Durham is. And so I think that, yeah, all of that has, has poured into me. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see, oh, Pierce's prolific as beat making lab and the Emmy and the Grammy nominee and, you know, PBS and all this stuff, I'm like, well, look where I came from. It was yeah. going back to the metaphor of, of, uh, you know, the masculine and feminine. It's like fertile soil. Yeah. You know what I mean? Durham's soil is very fertile. Um, you know, given the right, you know, nurturing mentorship to produce um, genius. And I've seen it since I was young, yeah. all around me. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, Derek Beasley and Jay Gunn and, you know, just so many of my peers, my sister, Maya, um, you know, you and Katie and like, and uh, Samantha. Yeah. That we just produce this kind of uh, entrepreneurial, very culturally grounded, uh, educated, you know, person Yeah. that um, I think I took for granted before leaving and then seeing what the rest of the world was like. I'm like, dang, Durham was all right. Yeah, <laughs> right, Durham right, right. was all right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Cause you were in California, cause I remember we came, I came out to visit you, yeah. you guys out there. Yeah, and was, so look, what what I don't even think I remember what prompted you guys to move out there. Oh, uh, I had a job. I was working okay. at the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz. Wow, very cool. Yeah, that was my first job out of grad school. It was a great job. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But then you know, me and Katie got got working, <laughs> got pregnant. <laughs> Jeez. Had a baby. Had a baby. Said, oh, <laughs> who's gotta, driving now? Gotta come. Who's driving? Driver's ed. It's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. That's crazy. Turning 40 this year. Got oh my a, goodness. Got two teenagers and one high schooler. It's nuts. Well, I mean, you've come so far and like, I mean, just, I feel like you're with the transforming and the molding and the shaping, like, do you see, like, what do you see for your, I mean, you've got your podcast with PBS. Do you see like you're gonna be a filmmaker and you know like make a movie one day or I don't know be president? Oh, <laughs> what are your plans? That's quite the escalation and <laughs> <in> ambition. <laughs> I don't know. With you, it's like there's always something so awesome, like you know, right over there, and you you go do it. So it's just really cool, you know. Yeah, I think uh, what's next for me is um, you know I, I <laughs> so funny. Stella was talking, my daughter was talking about uh, tattoos today. And, um, you know, she asked me to get a tattoo with her. And I said, I'll get one. Um, I have one tattoo. This is a, this is my dad's logo for his first business, the Freelong Group. That's cool. It's like an aerial of a pyramid. Yeah. And I can't, for the longest, I was like, you know, my dad gave me a really important lesson. I wanted to tattoo at like 14, 15 and uh, my dad was like, look, son, you're going to have to live with whatever tat you get for the rest of your life. So do me a favor. Wait until you're 21. Hmm. And if you can if you can make it, not only will I pay for the tattoo, but I will also get a tattoo. And did he get one? Well, I turned 21 and it was like, so do you, do you ready to get a tattoo? I was like, you know, I honestly... 
at the time I wanted like some kind of barbed wire or something <laughs> weird. I was like, I'm so glad I didn't get a tat. And it, and it, and it was like, I'm not the same person I was at mm. 16. So what makes me think I'm going to be the same person at 26 mm. that I am at, you know, 21. So, um, I didn't get one. Yeah. And I was like, I could literally can't think of a thing that I would want to have on my body for the rest of my life until my dad got ill. And then I started thinking about ways to memorialize his legacy on my body beyond the fact that I am a living memorial of his yeah. legacy. I was like, okay, cool. I, I saw, I came across this. This is like an early logo for the Freelong group. And I look at it, it reminds me of him. I feel like I'm, it's an ancestral, like, like pager yeah you know dad I know. stat <laughs> you know like i can just kind of tap into his energy yeah. because it's on me his, his creativity is, is is part of my skin yeah in you know more ways than one now so anyway my kids know this story stell's like we're getting a tattoo together i'm gonna take you up on the offer so and this all ties into your question about what's next so the tattoo that I'm going to get, which is on the wall over here, um, oh, yeah, okay. is is this uh, convergence of four circles, yeah. which um, collectively represent a Japanese concept called Ikigai. Huh. And Ikigai uh, basically means a reason for being. Mm -hmm. And these four concentric circles represent um, what your passion is, uh, what you're good at, what is good for the world, and what you can be paid for. Wow. And um, at any given point, you know, if you have two of those and not the other two or three and not the fourth or just one, you have not achieved Ikigai. You have not quite nailed the reason for being. Wow. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And it's just, it makes so much sense to me because yeah. let, let's say, you know, if you take any random two, like let's say I'm doing my passion and it's good for the world and I'm great at it, but there's no money involved. Yeah. Now, because of the world we live in, I can't sustain myself doing this. Yeah. I need to do something else for 8, 10, 12 hours a day just to survive. Yeah. And then whatever hours are left when I'm not eating, sleeping, or exhausted get dedicated to the thing that is your passion, yeah. you know, that, that is good for the world and that... Uh, that you're good at um, you know if you take another two if, if if you're good at something and you get paid for it but it's not good, good for, for the, the world, world. Yeah. Wow. and it's not your passion mm. you know then there's a sense of emptiness yeah. like wow. shit I'm getting paid I'm you know I'm, I'm making ends meet but you know there's an emptiness here and there's yeah. there's a hole that is not being filled uh, even if it's a passion but it's not helping anyone else there's like a piece missing so this uh this concept of ikigai i'm good at it um i love it uh it's good for people other than me mm -hmm. and and i get paid to do it is it, that's what i'm on right yeah. now yeah i am right in the center of those four spheres and um that is where i hope to continue to be yeah there's no other goal yeah there's no other asp well there are you know aspirations there are intentions there are things that I would like to manifest professionally in my career yes but I actually have no doubt that those things are coming those things are already done yeah all I need to do is stay in the center of my purpose my reason for being my ikigai and all that other stuff is just inevitable yeah that's amazing and like that's so right on because 
that's exactly the the flow that I want to be in. I want to be in the middle of that ikigai, in my own personal ikigai, you know, because as as an artist, as a creative, I want to bring amazing things to the world. I want to do good for the world. I want to um, make money from it, and I want it to fulfill myself. So mm-hmm. it's like, or to be fulfilling. And um, I think that's those are the four, right? Is yeah. It? Yeah. That's and it. and that's that's the entire purpose. And I feel like that should be everyone's purpose, right? Yeah. And if if we if everyone was on that, and everyone was you know in the center of their own ikigai, then our world. Our, as our, our, our whole world would be healed in a sense, you know, because everyone is healed internally by doing what they want to do. The world is healed because we're doing things for others. Everyone is supported so we can all support our families, you know, and it's just, yeah, that's like the ultimate. Yeah, it's wild. It seems like, oh man, this is a great new concept. That's what I thought when I heard it. Come to find out like, nah, this is like 2,000 years Ancient. old. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they old. knew stuff back then. They knew everything. And you know, it's interesting you you you're familiar with the flower of life or the seed of life Mm-mm. it's that's if you expanded that and added more circles all the way around you would have the seed of life and oh, the wow. seed of life is supposed to be like the sort of um fractalized energy of in in all things mm-hmm. like it's you see it in plants and animals mm-hmm. and, and in a lot of those ancient temples they have that but with a bigger version of it um like on imprinted on the floor and it's really interesting so i didn't know so it's interesting that that's a japanese concept because mm-hmm. it seems like it was like an almost universally around the world they had some aspect of that and i don't know if the the flower of life or the seed of life has that those same concepts mm. but um so that's unique i did not know that about that um i didn't even know about that but the fact that they all were were finding that these ancient societies these ancient cultures they knew how to operate true as a true society you know and, and even perhaps keep all those principles you know and i don't know that's that's the goal right i mean that's for me that's that's my goal and that's what i would hope the world the world's goal is to get to that point you know yeah yeah i think that um it's a great aspiration and it's a great again it's a great compass yeah if i'm ever dwelling outside of the lanes of the balance at the center of those things where I'm doing something for the money that doesn't tap into those other bubbles as much you know I find that my quality of life is diminished yeah you know you you may get the bag which is a perceived desire because it creates certain types of ease but it creates if if those other pieces aren't present it creates a, a you know a vacuum in yeah. one of those other areas so it's like nice to to be balanced by those things um and yeah and sometimes it's not always that sometimes i do free stuff often mm-hmm. even do you or, think that that comes with the sort of trusting you know like trusting that everything will work out and then you sort of fall into ikigai <laughs> well i think trust is a big part of it and obedience um you know it's it's important for me i meditate i journal um katie is my number one advisor you know and i run things by her i don't always do what she says but i always (laughs) wish i did (laughs) um and so i know that she has you know my best uh interests in mind Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the multiple things, it's important to be, it's not just, oh, trust my instincts. It's like, trust your instincts when you are surrounded by 
loving people who hold you accountable, uh, folks who are where you want to go and who are are uh, in the spaces you want to occupy. Mm-hmm. So that's a mentor, but also equally important is having a mentee. I think bringing somebody, my grandma always said, lift as you climb, mm-hmm. find yeah. somebody you can mentor who's trying to get where you at Yeah. while you be a mentor by someone trying to get where you trying yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, like these things are important because it helps define what it, your intuition is Yeah. and you are what you surround yourself with. Yeah. Um, you know, if that's people who are just, you know, not in alignment, then Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's so important goodbye. to goodbye. <laughs> it's so important to uh, create healthy boundaries, you know, with folks that um, who just aren't on the same journey. And and the, the thing is, it sounds judgmental or could potentially, but it's not judgment. It's just like, that's just not my journey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you said, your ikigai is inherently different from mine. So mm-hmm. if, if there's not enough alignment, then then we're not serving each other by the ways that we pour into one another. Yeah. You know, know and I, I find that happens, um, that kind of happens organically. You know, people will come in and then if they're not meant to stay or not meant to be, they'll go, they'll go out, you sure. know, it, whether you, you tell them to go out or they just naturally go out. Mm-hmm. And you know, that kind of goes aligned with, um, goes in line with, um, as one door closes, one door opens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I used to be one of those types of people where I'd get so upset if something didn't transpire the way I wanted it to transpire in any aspect of life. Um, but particularly, you know, as far as acting is concerned, like if I go out and audition or I prepared really well for this role or I got the call back and then, um, and then like my agent's like, okay, you're on hold. And then I'm like really excited about it. And then they're like, oh, they, you know, they decided to go in a different direction or whatever. I, I've had to learn over the years, you know, over this past decade that that just that project was not meant for me. You mm-hmm. know, I was not meant to be around those people. I was not meant to be in that project, something. And then it's so strange how it always or not really strange. It's just the way the universe works. Uh, another door will open that is better for me than that one, you know, right. or yeah. another opportunity will come or a situation will will you know, create itself to, it's almost like the universe is like, no, Nicole, like that ain't, that ain't good enough for you. Mm -hmm. I got something better, you know? And that's how it is with people and people come in and out that that's how it is with ideas Mm -hmm. and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then obedience is just kind of being in, um, reverent, uh, kind of flow with the universe. And if you're standing there with your arms, cross and your bottom lip stuck out, you know, as, as the opportunities that you thought you deserved are passing over you, you might miss these clenched fists Mm -hmm. might not be in a posture to receive the blessing that is, is coming your way. Get ready because you're going to need both hands to catch it. It's going to whack you in the face (laughs) if you're not in a, in a posture of surrender to like, well, maybe I don't know everything and there might be something. Yeah. Like that takes humility yeah you know humility because we have to tell our mental brain like you don't know everything Mm -hmm. you know and the fact that i you still audition Mm -hmm. you know you still got to show up for the things that you think might be in right alignment Mm -hmm. but if you don't get it it's like okay bet yeah you know when's the next audition Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean as opposed to like ready i know exactly i mean that that that's a it's a easy place to go to 
Um, and I think what resilience is, is taking those L's like, all right, what's the next one? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, sure. just, right, just, Ready. Like, still hungry. <laughs> still me. hungry. Totally. I ain't, I ain't good enough. Yeah. You, you know, know, humility, what you just said is like, it's, it's right on. And I feel like I, I can't speak for all artists, but I'm venturing to say most artists are much more humble than people think because of all the trials and tribulations that yeah. we go through to try to we like pursue our nose. art. Yeah. We get a whole lot of no's, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced that in everything. so many no's. Yeah. So many no's. But all those no's turned into Grammy nomination for you, an Emmy, you said an Emmy mm-hmm. award or an Emmy nomination? Win. An Emmy win. Same with me, like the show that I was in won an Emmy. So it's like all those no's, you know, that like happened beforehand were setting us up in our own individual fields for the wins that we were, the yeses. Yeah, we I told get. Stella, it's so funny. I heard this years later. I was like, oh, that, I, I thought of that. <laughs> Luckily, I put it on wax. So there, there is a record of this prior to me seeing it on um, Instagram. But it's like uh, L's, a, a bunch of L's stacked next to each other are going to end up looking like W's. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. The more L's, you need two, at least two L's to make one W. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I, I get that totally, totally. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And it makes you, that, that simple change of perspective makes you really appreciate the L's mm-hmm. because it's like you can't I don't have enough tools to forge the size W that I want right. I need some more L's bring some more L's <laughs> right. so I can stack them up right. you know like that is the that is the that is the approach yeah. that is gonna get you winning yeah you know winning in the right way mm-hmm. yeah uh, for you you know that is of, of the highest alignment with what you want mm-hmm. the, the attractive energy will be there you won't need to force it it will be effortless staying in your ikigai guy. yeah mm-hmm. wow well said and I think that's like an excellent note to sort of you know wrap this episode up because I mean everything we've touched on is so profound and so important you know and and that's really the idea of, of this podcast is to sort of like bring um bring these these conversations to the forefront and and um really encourage people to pursue their ikigai you know like to stay in alignment with that and um yeah so i mean i thank you so much for being my my guest tonight or my guest today i should say and um yeah um thank you guys for um for listening and please check out my website it's nicole-burgess.com i have links to my books and links to my jewelry, as well as links to uh, some of my other products that I have affiliate links for. And yeah, please check out uh, Pierce's Pierce's uh, website and and Instagram. Can you do you want to go? Sure. Yes. Pierce Pierce Freelon is my, all my things. That's my website, Instagram, TikTok, all of it. Pierce Freelon. Pierce Freelon. So yeah, please check that out. And um, yeah, thanks for watching. And once again, this is Life and Art with Nicole, and I'll see you in the next episode.